Hello, everyone. Welcome to our podcast. Here we will delicately and tactfully walk through each psychological issue. Psych! This podcast is meant for entertainment purposes only. This is not intended as individual, psychological, or medical advice. Please proceed at your own risk and always defer to your individual medical or mental health care team. Basically, don't make it weird, guys. Right. (laughs) Hello, everyone, and welcome to Shit Your Shrink Thanks. Oh, we had really similar. Yeah. I, yeah, we had really similar ideas for this one. Yeah, I just like yelling "what, what." Yeah, <laughs> that was my favorite part. I don't know what's happening, but I love to yell "what." Yeah, yeah, ditto. <laughs> good, good intro. I like that one. Yes, we are still on the related to the episode songs, although we cannot promise this will be happening forever. But today's episode will be about surviving, baby. Yeah, y'all. Yes. Oh. So welcome to our pod. Welcome. <laughs> welcome to the pod. Shit your shrink thinks. As a reminder, everybody, we do have a Gmail if you want to talk to us. We've got shityourshrinkthinks at gmail.com. We've got a Facebook and an Instagram. And we've also got a Patreon if you'd like to donate. We've got some fun work sheets up there as well as some good meditations so check us out it's www.patreon.com forward slash shit your shrink thanks yeah check us out support us yeah as you guys know we're still learning about each other and we're just trying to keep a what's good going for the week so what's good with you this week i'm gonna go with stretching okay what's up with stretching uh, I just i feel like as adults we don't do enough of it (laughs) yeah i you know in my youth kind of forced athletics you're you know yes. kind of forced to stretch and exercise but as adults like even just taking the time to stretch your muscles or to get the blood flowing and circulating yeah. in our bodies we don't take the time no and it's so helpful when you do yeah i once went to a massage therapist who was super she was a magician first mm. of all but she was so pissed at me because she was like do you stretch ever and i was like no <laughs> I'm not going to do anything between this. I'm going to have you put your hands on me and I'm going to do nothing at all about and my And then problem. you'll come back and do it again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I'm just going to suffer. And she looked me dead in the eyes one time when I came there and she was like, if you don't have time to stretch, you don't have time to run. And I was like, oh, oh. she was, I, I was a little bit ashamed of myself. I still don't stretch at all. <laughs> but yeah, no, stretching's great. Yeah. I was better stretch. at it when I ran. Yeah. I, I didn't always do it beforehand, but I was pretty good about doing it afterhand. Like, yeah. 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 I miss those days. I was never good at it and I don't have the motivation to change it, but I see why it's important. It's a good one. Right. right? It's a really yeah. good one. It's it's on my list, but is it is it actively being worked on? Maybe not. Oh my god. <laughs> there are so many things on that list. The right? list is huge. What's huge. your what's good? So this week I had an interesting story from a patient who I just wanted to share. I thought it was a really good technique that they were using. So mm. this person If I'm just de-identifying it, let's say they had, I don't know, let's say in the past they had a drinking problem or let's say in the past they had difficulty knowing whether what they were seeing was real or not. I'm Mm -hmm. just kind of throwing out some options. One way that they would, they described to me checking their mental status, like how good am I thinking today? How mm, in, in the zone am I? How equipped am I to make important decisions right now today? Should I wait a minute? 
one way they used to check it is they did Sudoku puzzles. And ah. so they would sit down and they would do a Sudoku puzzle and see kind of like what level they could did get to, like, you know, medium, hard, easy. And if they, they were having trouble even focusing on the easy ones or doing an easy Sudoku puzzle, it let them know that I'm actually not in a place to make big decisions right now. I probably don't need to have like big, serious conversations. I right. need to take a take breather. Take it easy today. Yeah. Like my cognitive resources, my thinking resources are not high today. But wow. if I can, if I'm doing this hard level Sudoku puzzle and I'm just kind of breezing through it, it's like it was a weird kind of like cognitive biofeedback they used for themselves. That's cool though. To be able to tell what, what their thinking space was like that day. I thought that was really neat. That is neat. Yeah. Yeah. Th- they gave that to me. They were like, you can... Take that one for free. You can use that on other (laughs) clients. I was like, that's actually pretty smart. And we do have, I mean, we have other things like that in mental health, like biofeedback. You can, you know, do deep breathing and then take your heart rate and see how your heart rate was before and after to determine, you know, if it was effective. So we have other like little indicators or measurements that help us to determine where we're at. But I thought that was an interesting one. Yeah, I like that. I think to some degree we should all probably do a little bit, like find find some level for you. You know, Sudoku Mm -hmm. would not be my jazz no but find one that's for you and kind of check in with yourself especially if you if you do have kind of a big day coming ahead or mm-hmm. if or if you just are feeling a little little off be like mm. should i participate at the, at the yeah. level i want yeah. to yeah i definitely have a a little indicate like if i'm getting crabby on my drive into work with other drivers i know that it's like mm. that's my little feedback mechanism to be like okay take a minute here because yeah you're not gonna be you're not going to be a pleasant adult. If you're already getting crabby with strangers, yep. then it's like not a good Yeah, look. I do. Yeah, I do use the drive definitely sometimes to kind of indicate, okay, so this is the day I'm having. Let's, yeah. let's yeah. try to de-escalate this already. <laughs> or if I'm like pissed with my dog, which I never am, yeah, but if I get mad with, with pets. my dog, yes. oh my God. I know. And then I feel, so, uh, that's the worst. I know. It's, <laughs> it's like time to, you're not fit yeah. for public consumption. Right. You got to go meditate and take a chill pill. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's, these are our weird little <laughs> feedback exercises or Sudoku, whatever. Yeah, do what works for you. Good. Yeah. So how did your homework go this week? So terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I was supposed to reflect on my self-care uh, and not only did I not reflect, but I barely engaged in enough self-care as it is for coping. <laughs> so, you know, we win some, we lose some. And I've been on a losing streak recently. <laughs> <laughs> it happens, man. And well, when we're recording this too, we're a little bit uh, further along than you guys, but we're right around the holiday time. And so our shit is lit right now. We're just like trying not to, we're all- We're treading water yeah. in various doing ways. Doing our best, flipping yeah. out, acting crazy. Like there's just, we're doing our best. It's just not the best look right now. That's, we're trying. Yeah. Yeah. We're trying. Yeah. Well, but what yeah. did it tell you though? What do you learn from that? There's much to be learned in failure, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I just it just further proves my need to do the evaluation of self-care, to reflect on the ways that I actually engage in self-care and yeah. the ways that I need to increase. Yeah. You know, it just further validated my need for it and that I'm not doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's I mean, a, awareness building. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Have how about your homework? How'd that go? <sighs> I failed. Um, okay, at least we're on the same page. Yeah, Failure, high five. I failed. Yeah, <laughs> we're we're failing together. I I feel I did a little. So my homework was I was going to try to. It was funny. We were actually just talking about this. Kind of like put myself together more in the day. Like make sure I was showered. Make sure I like 
put the lotion on its skin, make mm-hmm. sure that I was like getting dressed, even if I'm working from home, like just put myself in a cleanlier kind of position. And I, you know, I've had a period of time where I'd at least like brush my hair <laughs> <laughs> and put on makeup and stuff like that. It, and it made me feel better. Yeah. Just to get like the act of a ritual of getting ready helped me. It didn't really yep. matter how it turned out, if I felt like I was having a good hair day or a bad day, but just like I'm putting myself together helped me to feel like something was I'm putting on different pants than the pants I slept in. Yeah. I yeah. Just something like that. And I just really I didn't do it. I didn't feel like I had the time or energy, which is crazy because when I do do it, I feel like I have more energy. Mm-hmm. So it's like such a silly reason or excuse not to do it what i what i did accomplish the part i did accomplish was that i did meditate in the shower and in the bathtub so that was something yay okay and part of the meditation did if i'm being perfectly honest with you look like me laying down in the shower on my back eating ghirardelli squares (laughs) (laughs) while the water hit my face i love it (laughs) but it felt good and that's about as far as i got like i i tried but it looked like me laying down in the shower eating chocolate so but sometimes that's what self-care looks like <laughs> it's just like the water was just hitting my face and i was like i don't know i remember once i had a friend in grad school and she was like you know that your day isn't going well when you sit down in the shower like you start your day yes. by sitting down in the shower right <laughs> like what happens when you're laying down <laughs> didn't even get to the sitting position but i don't know so I tried. It's also like the depths of winter right now. And this is like my peak level of not seeing the sun. But it's not the depths yet. Like technically winter just started. (laughs) Well, but it's the peak level of not seeing the sun. Okay. So for me, that's the the deep stuff. (laughs) That's that's where I get lost. So yeah, I mean, I'm trying to give myself more credit where credit's due, but I didn't do a good job. Whoops. Oh, well. Oh, well. Learn again. So, yep. I mean, from that, what what did you learn then? What was your kind of reflection from all of that? I think I needed to fail to see the difference between when I felt good and when I felt bad. So mm-hmm. at least, I it, again, for me, it was awareness building. It was yep. like, I really do feel a lot better when I do successfully do this. I think I might have actually successfully done it once. I think I talked to you about like, I went to, somebody called me up with box seats to the symphony. And oh. I was like, holy shit, this is crazy. Okay, this is very fancy. Yeah. So I like fancied myself up and I felt a lot better, like dramatically better. Mm-hmm. And then when I was failing, I there was just such a noticeable difference <laughs> between how I felt before. So yeah, it was, it was uh, awareness building for me. Sweet. Hey, that's where we start. That's it's, that's how we change things. We got to figure it out first and build our awareness. Yeah, I mean, it's on both our fronts. <laughs> she says that she's wearing a shirt that literally says Munch Squad with a hamburger on it. Oh my gosh, your yeah. scarf covers it. I yeah, didn't even see. That's says, awesome. Yeah, that's that's where I'm at today. <laughs> We're recording in pajamas. It's, we we'll definitely are it. both wearing pajamas. Yes. Oh, goodness. So this week, we're going to be talking a little bit about risk and resilience. Specifically, we'll be discussing risk factors and exposures in childhood that increase likelihood for mental health issues. So we'll also talk about resiliency factors, the other side of that coin that helps to protect us as children from developing these issues in adulthood, and also how we can use resiliency factors in adulthood. So we're going to start with the risk factors in childhood that promote mental health issues and physical health issues. Uh, risk factors are single instance or chronic events that occur in a child's environment that increase their likelihood for mental and physical health issues in the future. And just to kind of, I don't know if I should give a trigger warning right here, but just this is like some of these questions, the risk factors are like, okay, they're 
they're in depth. Mm -hmm. So they might make you think of something that you experienced. So just so you know that that could be uncomfortable. Right. Uncomfortable emotions do not kill us. However. (laughs) However. They are are okay. (laughs) Feeling uncomfortable is okay. But just so you know, we might be like talking about adverse childhood events that could impact you long term and how that impact looks. So keep that in mind. So one of the things I, I always think about is the adverse childhood event scale. I don't know. Did you guys learn about that when you were? So, yeah, the last time that I, we we did learn about the adverse childhood event scale, but it was briefly touched on. You know, it, I had it, that same experience. It was kind of glossed over. Like, here's mm-hmm. these things and the next. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Like there was maybe a question about it on a test type yeah. of a thing. Yeah. yeah, I had that same experience. And then when I got into actual practice, I started to see that there were patterns of the mm-hmm. people who were struggling the most to get better in therapy and and that certain skills weren't really working on certain people. Mm-hmm. And the correlation I started to notice was like, oh, wait, this is these are people who had strong adverse childhood event scale scores, like really just had a lot of these events occurring. Yeah. And why did we not talk about this? Right. I know. Yeah. Why was this not yeah. a further, deeper discussion? I mean, the actual discussion on the impact of trauma is a, is a decent discussion, mm-hmm. but these various adverse events and, and their true impacts and the multitude, you know, the complexity of it mm-hmm. isn't discussed enough. Yeah, I agree. We don't, I don't feel like we actually go into the scientific underpinnings of like why this person is acting the way they're acting now and how it's a perfectly normal response mm-hmm. to what they went through. And I feel like we just are like, oh, well, that's trauma and we treat all trauma the same. But adverse childhood events really are different mm-hmm. because it's like, Okay, if you have something going on in adulthood that happens, but you had a healthy childhood, you would have a healthy foundation. Your house is built on a healthy foundation. Right. If you had a bunch of adverse childhood events, you know, you're built on a spooky, scary graveyard that's haunted. Like <laughs> That's also sandy and yeah. occasionally gets hit by waves. Yeah. So it's like, what? Like, these are two totally different situations that yeah. people are in. And it's weird that neither of us really, I, I did not feel like I had an extensive prolonged training on this either. Right. And it feels like I really should have. It really does. It really does. It feels like it should be explored and and like a full class on it, honestly. Yes. I went – I mean, I did – it's funny because I'm sure you took a child development class or two in your day. But they don't really talk about that. The crazy part was is I TA'd, so I was a teacher assistant or a graduate teacher assistant for a childhood – trauma class and that the adverse the ACEs scale was not what in it I know that's insane really weird to me yeah so we kind of like taught it based off of this book and maybe I mean this had to have been 10 years ago so maybe like this is an artifact of us having been in practice for a while right. maybe, maybe they they've are, updated it yeah or doing better with it yeah but Here it's an are. old enough thing though yeah if, you know what I mean it's like it's older than that 10 years yeah so I don't know I don't get it um But anyway, so without further ado, the Adverse Childhood Events was a scale that was created by Kaiser Permanente. They did a study in the 90s, I want to say, and they basically just interviewed a metric butt ton of people (laughs) about things. They came up with 10 things. They're like, okay, what most impacted you negatively from childhood? Mm -hmm. And let's distill this to 10 things that people most often reported. I think it's 10. Yeah. Yeah, it's done. And let's just sell this to 10 things that people most often reported. And then let's see how experiencing one, two, three, four, five, whatever right. of these events actually turns out for people. Right. Yeah. What's the comorbidity yes. of, of having 
these different experiences and the other, you know, they also related it to the chronic diseases like autoimmune disease, depression, suicide attempts, obesity, yes. poor work performance, financial problems, violence, victims of violence. Yeah. There was correlations with that as well. There was, yeah. So originally the ACE study, again, I found it here, it was conducted from 95 to 97. There was two waves of data collection. There was over 17,000 members. It was a Southern California area population. And, and let's keep this in mind. Like it was a largely white, largely affluent. Well, I wouldn't say largely affluent, but it was people that had health care. So this is right. the sample size. They were at least we attached here. to a healthcare setting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we are we have expanded this out, but this was the original study. Um, and we interviewed people. We did. They did not we. They <laughs> <laughs> they did physical exams, confidential surveys, and uh, asked about adverse childhood experiences, current health status, and behaviors. So the first thing they asked about the first adverse childhood event is did a parent or other adult in the household often or very often swear at you, insult you, put you down, humiliate you, or act in a way that made you feel afraid or like you might be physically hurt? So the very first question is just emotional abuse. Did you experience emotional abuse, mm -hmm. essentially? Yeah, emotional, psychological abuse. Mm -hmm. So I'll read through the rest of these, and you can just kind of self-score, and each one is one point. So the next one is, did a parent or other adult in a household often or very often push, grab, slap, or throw something at you or ever hit you so hard that you had marks or were injured? That's number two. So that's physical abuse. Yep, that's physical abuse. So there are different kind of, um, they have combined several different options here. Mm -hmm. Three is, did an adult person five years or older than you ever touch or fondle you in a way that was sexual or attempt to have oral, anal, or vaginal intercourse with you? So that's sexual assault. Yep, sexual abuse. Four is, did you feel like no one in your family loved you or thought you were important or special? Your family didn't look out for each other, feel close to each other, or support each other. So that's um, kind of like an emotional abuse. Emotional neglect. Emotional neglect, exactly. Five is, did you often or very often feel like you didn't have enough to eat, had to wear dirty clothes, had no one to protect you, that your parents were too drunk or high to take care of you or take you to the doctor if you needed it? So that's so neglect. physical net neglect. Yep. Yep. So we've got neglect there again. Were your parents ever separated or divorced? I think lots of us hit that one. Yep. And that that's loss of a parent. So that could also be death too. Oh, yeah. That's true. Loss of a parent. Number six. Yep. Seven. Was your mother or stepmother often or very often push, grabbed, slapped, had something thrown at her, or sometimes or very often kicked, bitten, hit, ever repeatedly hit over minutes, threatened with a gun or knife? So this is abuse of a parent. Yep. Witnessing abuse of a parent. Eight, did you live with someone who was a problem drinker or who abused street drugs? Yep, just living with substance abuse. Yep. Nine, was a member depressed, member of the family depressed or mentally ill, or did a household member attempt suicide? Yep. Living, living and coping kind of with the mental illness. Oh, did anybody ever go to prison is the last one. And so then that's criminal behavior in the house. Yeah, yeah. And so you get one point for each type of trauma, and it's a scale that you don't want to get a lot of points on, <laughs> no. as you could probably imagine. But right. some of us have lots of points on that scale, and that's okay. Some yeah. of us got, we light that scale up like a Christmas tree. Yeah. What's up, everybody? The CDC expressed that one in six adults experience four or more types of these. Yeah. So it is, I, I think the breakdowns that I had here were, just if we're doing like in per percentile, about 36% of that population had zero. So if you're in zero, you're in good company, normal, fine, cool. If you had one, you're at about the 26% of people had one. Here's, here's where we start to get a little less. Those of us who have higher woods, like we're all, we're all feeling good right now. 15 to 16% have two. 
three or more is about 9.5%. And the scale only really goes up to four or more. So those of us who have higher ones of those, that's okay. It just means that you are in a less than 10% category. And I say that to you to say this. When you interact with the world or environment differently, if you have a higher ACES score, there's a really good reason for that. Mm -hmm. You're in a, a different sort of company than the rest of the world. And what, like I said, I use the Harry Potter analogy a lot with this. It's like when Harry Potter comes back to Hogwarts and he can see Thestrals, I think they're called, the skeleton horses. Yeah, the skeleton horses. I can't and remember what they're none called. None of his other friends can see the skeleton horses. Right. And Luna, Lovegood, can see the skeleton horses with him. I think about that a lot like the ACES score. Like just because you can see the skeleton horses doesn't mean that other people can't see them so mm -hmm. there are others like you and also that they don't exist you just happen to have a very strange superpower my friend and i'm sorry about your superpower and how you earned it but right. it does come with some advantages but also some disadvantages and we're right. going to talk a little bit about that yeah because it does it, it changes the brain development i mean that's and how our body responds to stress. And of course, there are many other types of trauma. You know, there's racism, bullying, oh, yeah, you know, watching your sibling get it hurt or, oh, you know, witnessing. Sibling violence. Yeah, sibling yeah. violence. Yeah. So, I mean, this does not disclude the impact of those traumas either on, on your childhood. These were just the 10 most common mm -hmm. that were very deeply studied. Yeah, very <laughs> and very deeply reported. Exactly. Right. But but sibling abuse is a really common one that I yeah, I always think about that one and I'm like, that really should have been on there. And I think it kind of goes under the one the of like physical. watching the parent get hurt. Mm. It, I feel like you could also be like a sibling hurting you sort of goes in that yeah that department. But yeah. So it's not exhaustive, certainly. But what we do know is that up to 1.9 million cases of heart disease and 21 million cases of depression could have potentially been avoided by preventing adverse childhood events, mm -hmm. right? These are associated. There are a lot of lasting impacts that adverse childhood events have. So some of those are, and I'm just going to read a little bit of this here, people with an ACE score of four or more, you know, we're, we're in a little series of a category, and this means that the likelihood of chronic pulmonary lung disease, it increases 390%. Oh, man. The likelihood of hepatitis increases 240%. Oh, my gosh. The likelihood of depression increases 460%. Mm. And the likelihood of suicide includes, increases 1,220%. So yeah, I read that to say, like, people who, you know, if you've had those things and if you're struggling, there is a reason you're struggling. Yeah. Everybody else is struggling. It's not like this is something that's problematic or fundamentally flawed with you. Right. And I just want to validate your experience saying like, yeah, there's a reason for this. And yeah. we've scientifically researched this and we know like, yeah, these things promote physical and mental health issues. And that was the thing I wanted to point out too is it's it's physical issues too. Yeah. It's not just mental health. It's yeah. That connection between our mind and body is so deep mm -hmm. and <laughs> that's why that, we started the very that's first That's why episode. we started that. Yeah, yeah because it, when we have experienced this kind of abuse from a, a young age, we can't build the foundation for a healthy mental health, which then in turn affects the way that we care for ourselves mm -hmm. physically. Mm -hmm. It's all just so interconnected. It's it really linked. is. Yeah, it's and there's linked. no reason to beat yourself up further because you've experienced these things. Yes. You know, that doesn't mean that anything's wrong with you. It doesn't mean that that you can't grow and change those yes brain chemicals and the chemistry in there. Right. It, it just means that 
you were kind of held a crappy hand yeah. and and you and because of that you kind of have to work a little harder to to build that resilience. Right. What I always say is like I tell patients this and I think about this to a lot, you know, you might have been dealt a, a hand of cards or you've got twos and threes only, but I'll be goddamned if I don't cut out a piece of paper and draw my own aces on this. <laughs> you know, like I will put some aces in this deck if I have to stack it myself. And we can't. We yes. can do that in adulthood. It's just we want to normalize and validate like, hey, if you're still standing after yeah. several adverse childhood events. Right. Like, like be hey. pat yourself on the back for just surviving. Yeah. I mean, look at that suicide rate. Yeah, pat on yourself on the back for still waking yeah. up each morning when when yeah. you've had this kind of – when you've endured these kind of experiences over and over and over. Yes, yes. And the other thing is, is too, I mean, I, I don't remember where I put my – graphs, but there was a graph that showed that people who have four or more adverse childhood events, I think it's something like nearly 100% are on psychiatric meds. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like really the statistics or were on psychiatric meds in at that one study. point. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's something. So keep that in mind. Like it's not for nothing. And, and a lot of times like people too, they tend to invalidate their history of trauma. Yeah. But when you look at that list in black and white, it's like, okay, well, this is what the science says. Mm-hmm. So- You can, you you know, somebody can tell you all day long that what you experienced wasn't that bad or it wasn't that big of a deal. But the science says otherwise. The science says that your lungs did not like it and that your brain did not like it. Your heart did not like it. Well, and this is also why why it feels different when those different adult experiences happen to people and how, again, that perception, how you experience things differently. A Great Dane and a Chihuahua rocking through the same mud puddle aren't going to come out looking the same, (laughs) you know? Exactly, exactly, exactly. (laughs) Ah, those of us with cursed tiny legs. (laughs) We just have to swim, angry swim. (laughs) So that's just something to keep in mind. And I just wanted to validate too, like a lot of the times – one of the things we'll see as mental health workers is it's not just that somebody has poor physical health only due to trauma, but there's a lot of compensatory health behaviors that people have when they have trauma. For example, drinking goes up, which is partially why things like liver disease go up mm-hmm. in people with trauma or smoking goes up in yeah. people who have trauma histories, which is partially why you see COPD and other sorts of health behavior issues. Um, we also have things like traumatic brain injury, rates of teen pregnancy, mm-hmm. cancer, diabetes, you name it. And, and the thing is, too, is it limits educational opportunities. So when you feel like, wow, you know, Linda down the street is just killing it. And I'm like, doing my best. Barely surviving. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing my best to get out of bed here. Just hey, keep that in mind. The science says you're doing great. <laughs> Statistically, you're doing great. Right. Yeah. So now for some good news. There's actually something called resiliency factors. So a resiliency factor can buffer or cushion a child and even an adult actually, but a child against developing mental or physical health ailments as they age. And a resiliency factor is an environmental variable that helps a child overcome hardships where other children may not. So we're going to walk through just what the research describes as resiliency factors, because some of us, we make it out alive and we're we're doing something. We're doing it. Right. And what? How? How the heck? (laughs) How the (laughs) what? What do? So we're going to talk about that. So resilience is defined as the capacity to adapt successfully to challenges that threaten the functioning, survival, or future development. Yes, absolutely. So the the opposite of these ACE scores is the positive childhood experiences. Yeah, I'd love to hear what you got there. So basically, how much or how often during your childhood did you 
feel able to talk about your family with feelings. Mm -hmm. Feel your family stood by you during a difficult time. Enjoy participating in community or traditions. Felt a sense of belonging in high school. Ooh, that's a good one. Feel supported by friends. Have at least two non-parent adults who took genuine interest in you and felt safe and protected by an adult in your home. Right. Right. And a lot of times, like, these adults, again, they can be, like, sometimes it can be adults in your home. It could be, like, a grandma or right. something like that. Or um, they, they can be teachers a mm-hmm. lot of times or coaches or clergy members, whatever. But sometimes, or even, like, friends, uh, parents yeah. will notice that something's going on and just kind of, like, adopt you a little. If you were ever, like, that kid that was adopted right, right. a little, that'll do it. But surprisingly, what's so weird is the research is really new. On resiliency factors, I think we were so focused on like, what's wrong? What is wrong? Yeah. <laughs> what is wrong with this? Yeah, what's that we going didn't look about like, okay, but how do we make it right? Yes, yes. <laughs> People are like, wait, should we do something about it now? Yeah, <laughs> that seems like it, we're just now catching up in that in that respect. So, ten to fifteen years really is the. I would say the oldest most of the research is. Most of the theories of resilience are written about in positive psychology journals and journals of social work. Mm-hmm. So, positive psychology is not really, oh, how would I say this? Kind of like a pop psychology. Yeah. Yeah. Positive psychology isn't as well. It should be. Let me be clear. It should be. But in the scientific community, and I think in some of the social work and psychological circles, it's kind of like not as well regarded, I guess. It's a little too new agey for some of the old school. Yeah. It doesn't, people, which is crazy because a lot of the, stuff is good stuff and it actually kind of like i've noticed positive psychology often overlaps with like sports psychology Mm, and io psychology industrial organizational but as far as like if you're a therapist like we are they focus a lot more on problems (laughs) rather than like what the resiliency is or how something went well because when somebody comes into our office like something didn't go well so like we don't we're not in that department usually uh and we want to help things to go well, but but we focus more on like the diagnostics. And so, yeah, the research is newer. And I think that's part of the reason why a lot of us didn't learn a lot about it is it like is poo food, yeah. which is sad because I think there's something to it. Agreed. Agreed. Also, there's not really a lot of randomized clinical trials on resiliency factors. There's not a lot of like, I mean, ethically, right? You, It's hard to be like, hey, little kid. You're going to experience bad things. And now this other little kid is going to experience good things. And let's randomize this clinical trial. And then we're going to see how after two years you're doing. Right. It has to be like a naturalistic study where we study people after the fact. And so that has some difficulty. That's a really long term sort of thing to do, Mm -hmm. which is difficult. I think there's some ethical issues that people have trouble getting through IRBs. And I, I think that correlational data is a lot easier to find, which just means like, oh, well, people that are doing well. Generally, they have these sets of source of factors. But as I'm going to do a research episode on, correlation doesn't mean causation. Right. It means that like, okay, so yeah, maybe I had a good experience in high school and I turned out to be doing better. But it doesn't mean that my good experience in high school is the caused my... Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I did find a couple of studies that were kind of recent. Yeah. A 2020 study among juvenile offenders discovered that a high ACE score was associated with increased reoffending and the high resiliency resiliency score was associated with decreased recidivism. Interesting. So 
juveniles with four or more ACEs but had six or more of those protective factors mm-hmm. were 23% lower uh, to get reconvicted and 22% lower to even get rearrested. Very interesting. So it's not just all about family of origin. You can put in other support factors that would help. That help mitigate the potential of those. Adults who reported six or seven of those kind of protective factors were also 72% less likely to have depression. That's bananas to me. What Man, is- it feels like getting a high score on that. Maybe I'm being negative, but I'm like, I agree. That, that would be great. really hard. But but that I mean, that was just that study. Yeah, um, but that's cool though to just know that these there are alternatives out there. It's not totally out of control if you're born into a family that's right. not a good situation. Right. If you can if you can branch out, if you can find other things, then it's possible to to do a lot better. And, you know, one thing I noticed with those, the ACEs, the adverse childhood events, they are fairly definable experiences. They're mm. they're kind of events, whereas these are more about your feelings and your interpretations. Yes. I think the adverse childhood event score you're saying is is much more behavioral. It's yes. much more specific. It's, it's measurable. We can look at it from an outward lens. I think that study did a good job of – and those are the measures we want right. as practitioners. Like, those are the best scientific measures. Yeah, because you can observe them. Mm-hmm. You, you know exactly what they look like. Whereas that was the thing I ran into with resiliency factors too. They're a lot more fluffy and squishy. Yeah. They're like- So they're harder to define. Yeah. Did you feel as though you had a good experience in high school? Like what does that mean? To what level? I did with this person, not with this one. Yeah. Yeah. Or did you feel supported (laughs) by a friend network? It's like, sort of? Like what is, you know, what's that answer? Right. And yeah, it's less like measurable. And also I think they kind of sometimes relate like the adverse childhood event scale is like well was there a person in your house that made you feel supported probably not if somebody was right probably if they were all abusive and yeah Yeah. neglectful maybe not the (laughs) odds are no not in your home but so it's it is interesting to look at and i i found here that one of the main factors one of the best things that you can do for children and in adulthood actually to build resilience is to facilitate other supportive relationships outside of the home so whether that's facilitating a supportive adult child relationship like the big brothers big sisters type mm, programs mm-hmm. are really good i actually have patients they're so sweet my patients are little angels of light on this planet <laughs> and they like do big brothers and big sisters because they don't want they want to be a big brother or big sister because they don't want what happened or they do foster care or something right. like that because they want to promote somebody else's resilience mm-hmm. it's just so sweet they're just they want to little... break the cycle because of what they yeah. experience they don't they want to be the supportive adult that they never had right yeah. exactly exactly and so Yes, in adulthood, finding a mentor, finding a person who is older than you, finding somebody who can give you advice, somebody who can guide or provide a model, even in adulthood, that's pretty good. Yeah. Adopt a dad. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I yeah. I always joke that I need an app that's called like adopt a mom, adopt a dad, and then like <laughs> moms and dads who are just like older, who have like empty nests. Yeah, I was going to say there are so many parents who also are just like, I miss my kids or, or grandparents yeah. who don't yeah. get to have enough time with their yeah. own grand and they want to spend time. Oh my gosh. Would it, be, it would just be needs to be done. <laughs> I know. Somebody right? go create that app. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing that app. What are you talking about? I'm okay, going to be a mind. millionaire. PM, yeah. Or yeah. DM. What's it called? Wait. TM. TM. I don't know. PM. 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 Uh, yes, we're PMing it. Yes, I think though, I, th- I think about myself, right? And let's say I'm in my 20s or 30s. And let's say I, let's say I'm at work. 
and I just find somebody at work. They're much older. They seem to have their shit together. They mm-hmm. know what's going on with the world. They have a really calm demeanor. I might glom onto that person a little bit and just use them as a resiliency factor and be like, yep. hey, what do you know, man? Tell me what you, how did you get through this? Right. What did you learn? What did you, or like, let's say you're going to be a first time parent mm-hmm. and you're taking a class about parenting and the older nurse lady teaching the class seems like she's had a billion children and knows what's up. Right. Maybe you ask her, right? You get information from other adult or older sources that, you know, might not always be provided to you from your family. You extend your family. Yeah, yeah. You you create your own kind of soul family and, and find the people who can help support you and guide you. Because as adults, we need that because a lot of us weren't given yeah. the, the enough guidance. I mean, even even if your parents did amazing things, your, the high school system failed us. We yeah. didn't learn how to do taxes. You know uh, what I mean? Like uh, either way, no. we need to to reach out to people who have figured out those various things that we're still trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. Ask them what the hell they're doing. And as parents or caregivers, you know, there are ways to nurture that into your with your child too. Mm-hmm. Really just trying to verbally and physically, you know, express some love, like giving hugs and commending them, really trying to comfort them, you know, in times of fear or discomfort, praise of their accomplishments or their initiative that they just mm-hmm. tried, mm-hmm. support their exploration. You know, if they wander off and try something new, be there when they come back for safety and security. They, mm-hmm. they have to venture out. You can't be the helicopter. You got to no. you got to let them fly. And then when they come, they'll fly back. Failure <laughs> let them is fly the greatest back. teacher. You got to. Yeah. You got to let them fail. Try to set consistent boundaries so they understand what is to be expected and that their safety is also being seen. Mm-hmm. Model that optimism and confidence as best as you can. You know, kids are so spongy. They What you're saying to yourself and out loud, even if it's not at them or to them, they'll it, absorb, they'll absorb and, and it can have an effect. And acknowledge their, their feelings without anger or judgment. Try to help them label and try to, again, comfort a little bit and then explore. You know, a lot of times you have to regulate a kid first a little bit. Give them that physical comfort and safety to help regulate, help them breathe. Shit, I need to be regulated. Yeah, before. same, same. Help them breathe and then, like, help them explore what they were feeling. Like, those, you're having some big feelings. Like, what's going on? Let's, you <laughs> Are know? you talking to me? Yeah. Are you going to give me a cookie and a juice box? I need both. Right? Give me a Capri Sauvignon. Right now, I now. Calm down. I mean, but seriously, we all yeah. need to like have our nervous system cooled out before we can have a dialogue about things. So. Right. But yeah. help them explore that. Help mm-hmm. them feel seen and heard. And you can support them through through their struggles and help them build on to these resiliency factors. Right. Absolutely. Another, you know, another evidence supported, like a consistent one I found in the literature that and I could say like with a personal experience, this to me would be a resiliency factor. For me personally, this is a resiliency factor I use a lot, mm-hmm. is building a sense of self-efficacy and perceived control. Yeah. So fun fact, my dissertation was actually about self-efficacy. Those of you who know me know that. And it's about this self-efficacy is having the confidence to be able to do a specific act and complete it, you know, totally. And it, it's not general. It's not like I have confidence. It's like, I have self-efficacy to drive my car and make it to the grocery store in the rain, right? Right. It's like like specific to tasks. But it's about promoting your ability to control yourself and your surroundings, have an internal locus of control, and know that you can affect the outcome of events. Right. My choices influence my life. Mm -hmm. And if I focus on what's within my control and and try to manage that, Mm -hmm. I can better 
influence my life to where I want it to be. Absolutely. So yeah. things that would for kids impact self-efficacy or feelings of self-control is like sports, for mm-hmm. example. Like, oh, hey, if I practice for soccer, I get better at soccer. Right. If I or band. Right. If I bang mm-hmm. on this drum enough times in enough specific ways, it starts to finally sound good. Yep. Or getting good grades in school is a really good one. Helping kids feel smart. It's skill development. And skill development is, is a that mastery. Mastery. Exactly. Yeah. We've, we've been talking about that a lot lately. Mastery is such a huge. And again, I can think about this for me personally. Like if I'm ever in a time of stress, even as an adult, I lean back on what do I have foundationally? What do I have mastery over in my environment? Mm-hmm. And like, what can I do here? What can <laughs> right. I Right, yeah. What, what can I freaking handle in this dumpster fire? Yeah. Is there any part of this that I can put out? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I can put this old hat out of fire now and whatever. So like things that I lean back on are like, well, I, I can choose to go on a walk. Mm-hmm. I am going on a walk today. Or I can choose to eat a vegetable and not get scurvy or right. I can choose to I can choose to disengage from this person yeah who is coming at me all aggressive like mm-hmm. <laughs> or honestly like I'm you know me I'm like super skill oriented so it's like I can choose to learn how to make a podcast <laughs> I like it. I can, I can, I'm gonna learn how to make a podcast right now or I can choose to pull my flute back out like mm-hmm. I, I yeah. love tasks and just like read music again. Or I can choose to learn how to do yoga. Like it doesn't even have to be like a coping skill necessarily so much yeah. as it can be a task. Yeah, it's fostering those talents and that self-care and that mastery. I mean, it really is focusing on that locus of control. Another really big one that I found that really resonates just kind of with me as a clinician in this world is that finding the ability to uh, strengthen and develop your emotional self-regulation skills, I would say mm-hmm. that 99.9% of my therapy sessions involve some sort of like, what are you feeling? Mm-hmm. How do we regulate it so we don't pop off and we don't avoid it? We don't want to pop off and we don't want to avoid. <laughs> so decreasing impulsivity, finding things that decrease impulsivity, let you wait a tick before you're throwing down with somebody and things that help you actually engage when you are feeling uncomfortable. And so finding emotion regulation strategies, and actually this is emotion regulation is a predictive variable. It's also a resiliency factor for kids. Kids that just happen to have higher emotion regulation mm-hmm. tend to do better. And you can facilitate that in your kids, right? It's sometimes you're born with it. Maybe it's Maybelline. I don't know. <laughs> like, what is this song? What is that? How Maybe that you're go? born with it. Maybe it's Maybelline. There we go. Yeah, there, that, that's it. <laughs> And Maybelline's definitely not sponsoring us, but no. <laughs> we wish it were. Yeah, maybe we'd do better with our self-care. <laughs> yeah, oh my God. <laughs> Help us, Maybelline. <laughs> but yeah, those emotion regulation skills, monitoring our thoughts and moods, and, and problem-solving skills too, that reflecting on our perception and pushing ourselves into more perseverance, mm-hmm. working through the struggles instead of, like you said, avoiding. Mm-hmm. There was a term that I found in the research. There was a different study um, talking about sports psychology and resilience in sports psychology, and the term was mental toughness. And mm-hmm. I, I relate that a lot with, again, emotion regulation, just being able to downregulate when you're super pissed, yep. not do anything just yet, or tolerate it when you're really afraid, but still engage with the issue or with the problem you need to solve. And I think mental toughness is a lot about, I actually had a patient tell me just this week, like, she had a huge disappointment, a huge disappointment. And the next day she woke up 
let's say her huge disappointment was she's gonna make this up she didn't get a job promotion that she wanted and she'd been trying for for like a year Mm. and she said hey man i really feel like i want to relapse into old bad behaviors yeah and then i woke up the next day and i said to myself you didn't die Keep it moving. Yep. And that's like exactly the mental toughness. It's not like a you're not trying to invalidate yourself, but right. you're like, you're still kicking, man. Yep. Keep going. You're you're getting back on the horse. You're dusting yourself off. You're, right. you're acknowledging like that hurt. Like F you horse. Like yeah. we're gonna break you. Yeah. You know, I do not like, like that. We're we're get, I'm yeah. going again. Yeah. Round two. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Come at me. Come at me, bro. Yeah. That's that's exactly mental toughness is you take a minute to weep, you take a minute to lick your wounds, but at the end of that time you have the cognitive wherewithal. You say to yourself, That really sucked. Right. I did not like that. I am going to overcome that. Right. I'm going to make this. I'm a bitch. survivor. I'm going to what? Yeah. <laughs> I just get to say what a lot. <laughs> exactly. And so you that that cognitive reframing is protective. We also have mobilizing sources of faith, hope, and cultural traditions as a protective factor. Yeah, so, social groups and community. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So getting your communities together and spirituality, right? Again, yeah. lots of people don't, they might be atheists, for example, but that doesn't mean you can't have spirituality. Spirituality is about something that brings you awe and meaning and makes you feel small and that there's something bigger out there. I don't know, maybe you just like stars yeah. or the ocean or whatever. But being near something that makes you feel awe and gives you perspective about this little thing here that's bothering me in this moment mm-hmm. is going to be gone in five years. Yeah, this too shall pass. Mm-hmm. And exactly. this struggle is, although really consuming my life right now, a year from now, ain't going to look the same. Yeah. And the thing you referenced earlier was like basically applying leverage to your character strengths is another right. thing. Is like when you have a talent or when you have a strength, lean into that and don't to focus so much of your momentum on what you don't do well. Right. But focus your momentum on what you are doing well. So I'm shit at math. I'm shit at <laughs> physics. I failed physics. I, I, can't, I couldn't do it. and But I'm really good at language. And so I leaned into poetry classes and I mm-hmm. leaned into literature and I leaned into writing. And that worked for me. I got better grades in those sorts of things in school. And that could be considered for a kid, for example, a resiliency factor because you're getting things that you're good at. Yeah. And you took more of those classes. You know, you instead of taking classes that made you feel like you were inadequate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You took classes that made you feel like you were skilled. Right. And it's like if your environment, let's say that you are a person in an adverse childhood events area, like or an adult who's had these experiences, you have had enough people telling you you're shit at things. Yes. Like, you don't have to bang your head against a brick wall and do the thing that sucks all the time. Right. You can lean and rock with the good shit and go that way. You don't have to, like, consistently be breaking up against, you know, the wall. Right. It's not useful. Lean into those people that feel safe, reliable, consistent, that model the emotion regulation Mm -hmm. skills. And... Again, that perspective as well, when you are facing an argument or a disappointment, try to take that time to reflect and see if there's an opportunity for growth. What is that outside perspective? Maybe that's when you lean into that person with good skills and say, yeah. uh, this is what's going on. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm really struggling. They might be able to provide an alternative perspective. Oh, yeah. That's my absolute favorite resiliency is like I lean into adultier adults who have different skill sets than I do or friends. I, I like to gather and collect friends that have skill sets that I don't have. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. And I'll call them with crazy checks all the time. I'm like, all right, I don't know what <laughs> Am this I is. acting crazy yeah. or is this valid? <laughs> like, and they're like, okay, on? this is valid, but y'all are a little crazy. <laughs> also acting a little crazy. It's usually both. <laughs> right? It's valid and you can't act that way. And right. like, I, I just expand my brain space. I'm like, I need another brain on this for just aid to tell me some possible solutions because mm -hmm. I'm having a hard time thinking through it. So yeah. So speaking of kind of the resiliency and what we personally are doing, what do you what do you want to do with the resiliency stuff? What do you want to try for outside of session practice or the risk stuff? I don't know. I don't yeah. know your life. <laughs> I I want to kind of try again with my self-care. I mean, I think that yeah. that re relates to this resiliency. I want to try again with that where I'm reflecting on what I'm actually doing mm -hmm. and what I need to do more of because I'm I'm dropping the ball right now and I and I need to pick it up. Sure. Sure. Love it. Like How about it. You? Love it. I am going to try to notice what resiliency factors that I do have and I'm going to try to lean more consistently into my strengths and lean away from my weaknesses. I don't know 100% what that looks like right now, but I think that I'm basically a human cockroach. It's real hard to kill me. So I've got to have some <laughs> resiliency factors uh, in there somewhere. Yes, girl. <laughs> I need to start looking at like what those are. I suspect I suspect a lot of my resiliency factors are my friendships are very powerful and strong sense of support for me. I have a, a, a strange set of spiritual beliefs, but I have them. <laughs> they exist. Um, they help. I think they yeah. can be powerful. Um, my dog, right? Like little little things. I think I am above average at problem solving skills. Oh, yeah. And so I think I want to really lean into that. And I think I focus a lot on what I need to improve on. And yeah. I would like to focus on what I'm already good at and try to lean lean into that. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Girl, you're unstoppable. Like I, I am a cockroach. <laughs> you, you are, you're unstoppable. Yeah. You're you're a force to be reckoned with and I, you should acknowledge Thank your you. bad ass more often. <laughs> yeah, I don't do that very often. But I yeah, maybe I will try. Maybe I'll try. So I have got a joke for you. Yay. I've got a couple of them. Okay, I got one. Okay, so the first one is I saw a bird with broken wings but a resilient look in its eye. It was unflappable. That was the one I had. I know. Okay, 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 okay. Okay. All right. I'll just tell you the second one. I'm okay. sorry. I got it. That's okay. I'm sorry. I took yours. I figured. I when I googled it, I was like, "This is like the shortest one. She's probably gonna find the same <laughs> joke." <laughs> okay. That's what. That's okay. I got another one that you don't have. Okay. They say the heart is the most resilient organ. It can really take a beating. Ah, <laughs> yeah, I like yeah, that. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, those ones are for our audience today. <laughs> Googling about resiliency jokes is really hard. It was. They were so long that a lot of them were like stories. And I I'm know. Like, it's like I don't care. I got like twelve seconds into one of the stories. Like, nah, 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 right? I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I, resilience is not in my area of attentional resources. I don't have. Them. <laughs> ah, I'm out. Anyway, guys, thanks so much for listening. That's our podcast today. We hope that you find many, many resiliency factors this week within yourself. Yeah, lean into what's good about you. Absolutely. You're more badass than you realize. More more than you know. All right, everyone, have a great week and check us out on Gmail, Facebook, Instagram, Patreon. Patreon and peace. Bye-bye.